0: to the Strand Baptist Church podcast. For more information on Strand Baptist Church and our ministries, please visit our website at www.strandbaptist.org.za Good morning, Strand Baptist family. I will admit this is not how I wanted to spend the first Sunday of 2021. But I would still like to wish you a happy, and blessed new year. And we do trust that the Lord who has brought us through 2020 which was pretty rough, we do trust that the same Lord who brought us through the past year will be gracious in protecting, helping, guiding, providing and caring for his people in the year ahead. And so we turn our eyes from the year that is behind us and we look to the year that lies ahead. And I'd like to enter this year by finishing off what we started at the end of last year, Psalm 116. So grab your Bible and join me as we read from verse 1 of Psalm 116. I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because He inclined His ear to me, therefore I will call on Him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me, the pangs of Shell laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. O oh God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O oh my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. This is the word of of the Lord. Let's turn to him in prayer. Our gracious and glorious Heavenly Father, we have your word open before us and we want to be attentive to what you would teach us. We want to hear your voice and not only hear it, Lord, but understand it so that we would not go astray, so that we would not read your word incorrectly, so that we would not apply it improperly. Lord, so that we would not make a mess of things. We do pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and insight so that we might not only understand, but give us strength to apply, to obey, to be transformed and changed by your word. And so at the beginning of this new year, We want to again commit ourselves to taking your word seriously, making it a part of our lives, making it the bedrock upon which we build our lives, the blueprints according to which we build our lives. And Lord, may it be the hymn sheet from which we sing your praises as we raise up our lives as a temple for your glory. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are alone at this time and that you would comfort them. Lord, we pray for those who are ill, and you would heal them. And Lord, we pray for those who are anxious and fearful, that you would still our fears, and that you would give us your peace that surpasses all understanding. O oh, Heavenly Father, we look to you, and we thank you that you hear our, vo- our voices and our pleas for mercy. Amen. Now, the last time we looked at this psalm, you'll remember that we mention that the psalm is actually part of what became known as the Egyptian Hallel. And Hallel just means praise. It's the word related to the expression hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. And it begins or ends many of the psalms in this particular grouping, the Egyptian Hallel being Psalm 113 to 118. So Psalm 116 was a part of that. And this means that Jesus and his disciples would have sung this psalm as part of their passover celebration now what's the psalm about well at its very core this is a psalm of deliverance and it's a major theme in the psalm god helps the helpless and it need i need to remind you again that this is not a song about human ingenuity perseverance or strength this is not a song about the god who helps those who help themselves as the common expression goes No, this is a psalm in which the psalmist celebrates God helping the helpless. If you look down to verse 6 of the psalm, you'll read that when he was brought low, the Lord saved him. And again, in verse 8, you read about his soul was near the point of death. His eyes were filled with tears. His feet were about to stumble. And he says that you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears and my feet from stumbling. So this is a psalm in which the psalmist comes to the Lord and just acknowledges the fact and celebrates the fact that God helps the helpless. So that's what drives the psalmist to the Lord. He is absolutely helpless. He is at the end of his rope. His human resources have run out. His friends have deserted him. His best best efforts have failed. There's only one place to turn to. And that's God. And we noticed in the first part of this psalm that there are three things that God does, that God graces the helpless with, that God does for the helpless. And the first was that God hears the helpless. God hears his children and back in verse 1 we read, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he inclined his ear to me therefore I will call on him as long as I live. And it's this amazing reality that when we pray our voices echo in the very throne room of heaven. God hears us. Not only that but we read in the next part of that opening section that God helps helps us God helps his children God helps the helpless and you'll remember that we saw in verse 6 that God preserves the simple when I was brought low he saved me and why did God do that it's because of his own glorious character if you go back to verse 5 you find that the psalmist celebrates the fact that God is gracious righteous and merciful that is who he is. And that is what motivates the psalmist to cry out to the Lord with a steadfast confidence. Not in his own prayers, not in his own ability to somehow twist the arm of God or convince God that his cause is just. No, his confidence is not in himself, his eloquence, how long or how fervently he prays. His confidence is in the unchangeable, glorious, character of God and so even if he would go to God without words without the proper words um, even if he did not know how to pray and the apostle Paul mentions that very specifically in Romans chapter 8 verse 26 even when we do not know what to pray for the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words even then we can go to God even when we are When the words run dry, we can still go to God because our confidence is not in the eloquence of our prayers, but in the grace and mercy and righteousness of God. And you find that he then tells his soul, return to your rest. We can be at peace. And then finally, we saw in the opening section of the psalm that God heals his children. He hears, he helps, and yes, he heals his children. And that's why the psalmist says, for you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. So when he says that I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living, he is expressing not only confidence in God's healing power, but there's something even more to it. There is not only a confidence, but a commitment. There's a commitment there. Why did God heal the psalmist? And now we're going to transition into that second part of the psalm where we not only hear what God has done for the psalmist, how God helps the helpless, but now we'll also learn how the helpless responds to God's help. Now we'll find out how God's children respond to answered prayer. So why did God heal the psalmist? Now look again at verse 9. In verse 9 he says, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. You'll remember that when God healed the psalmist, he not only delivered the psalmist's soul from death, his eyes from tears, his feet from stumbling, it was a complete deliverance. But the Lord saved him, delivered him for a purpose. And that purpose is that he will walk before the Lord. He will walk before the Lord. What does that expression mean, to walk before the Lord? Well, When Zechariah prophesied at John the Baptist's birth, he said that God had delivered them so that, and I quote, they might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. That's Luke chapter 1 verse 74 to 75. In his prophecy, he also referenced the call of Abraham. When God said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Genesis chapter 17 verse 1. Walking before the Lord means living with an awareness of God's abiding presence. It's living before the audience of one. Your life is dedicated to His glory, His plans, His purposes, and yes, His pleasure. You want to please Him more than you want to please yourself. That means that God's answers to your prayers are not only so that you can enjoy life for a little longer, but so that you can bring Him glory while doing so. We live to serve. Or in the words of the Apostle Paul, referring to salvation from sin, He died for all that those who live might, not lo- might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 15. But what does he mean when he says I believed even when I spoke? That's verse 10, that's the next verse. Well, in this verse, as I mentioned before, the apostle Paul quote this is the verse as I mentioned before that the apostle Paul quoted in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 13 when he said we have the same spirit of faith according to that which has been written and then he quotes the first part of the verse, I believed even when I spoke. You may have noticed if you read 2 Corinthians 4 verse 13 that the wording is slightly different and that's because the Apostle Paul is probably quoting from the LXX translation of the Old Testament. That's just the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament because many of the Jews uh, could no longer read or understand Hebrew anymore. And so they translated into the common language of the day which was Greek. Now Paul quoted from that. He quoted from Uh, this particular psalm, and he is saying with the psalmist that his faith drove him to speak. So when the psalmist says, I am greatly afflicted, it is not a cry of hopelessness or despair. It's a confident plea directed to God. He cries out because he knows God hears. He is motivated to pray because of the faith that he has in God's character and because God has proven himself faithful time and time and time again throughout his life. When you look at how the Apostle Paul applies this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you know, to something similar. He preaches the gospel to others in the midst of trial and tribulation. But because he believes it is true, true for them and true for himself, he continues even when it's tough. So he says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. So when you look at how Paul quotes this particular passage, and if you listen to how the psalmist applies this particular phrase, You find that there's this confidence in God that drives these men to speak in a certain way, to pray in a certain way, to preach in a certain way. It's motivated by faith, and it's a faith that they have in the midst of affliction. Now, what kind of affliction? Well, we've already seen with the psalmist that he was on the verge of death. He was convinced that he was going to die. So when he prays, he prays an honest prayer. He says in verse 10, I am greatly afflicted. He was being crushed by the weight of his burdens, by the severity of his afflictions. He was honest. He did not pretend to have it all under control as though God's help would be appreciated, but wasn't really that necessary. I mean, have you prayed like that? sometimes it sounds like we're trying to assure God that we are okay instead of crying out to God for help. There needs to be honesty and humility when we cry out to God. And if we believe what the psalmist believed, that God is good and that He is able and willing to hear and answer our prayers, we will cry out to God like the psalmist did. Now before we continue, we have this strange little phrase of verse 11. We'll get to how he responds in a minute, but we just need to deal with verse 11 first. And that is that he says in verse 11, all mankind are liars. Or he said, in my alarm, all mankind are liars. Now, what does he mean? Well, various interpretations have been suggested. One being that the psalmist was being falsely accused. Uh, People were adding to his affliction by saying that it was his own fault, that it was because of his own sin. This would be like the accusation of Job's friends uh, when they said that his affliction, his trials, his disasters, his calamities were caused by his own sinfulness. And, and that might be one thing that the psalmist has in mind. Uh, some have also suggested that the psalmist spoke in alarm, or if you have a King James Version, in haste. And this would mean that the psalmist spoke prematurely, that he spoke too quickly. Taken this way, it would mean that not all people are untrustworthy and that while All men are fallible. There are those you can count on in a time of need. But I don't think this is what the psalmist had in mind. I believe the psalmist rebuked false confidence. This is not about false accusations leveled against him or his false accusation leveled against his fellow man, but rather a false confidence in the wisdom and strength of man. In other words, think of it this way. When people offer worldly comfort in our calamities... They lie. When people say, trust in yourself, they lie. When people point you away from God to someone or something else, they lie. When people encourage you to deal with your trial or your misfortune in a sinful way, they lie. At any time where our confidence in God is diminished, people lie. Psalm 62 verse 8 says, Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of of a high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. In other words, don't trust people. Trust the Lord. On the words of Psalm 60 verse 11 grant us help against the foe for the salvation of man for vain is the salvation of man don't trust in men and so in his alarm he says all mankind are liars don't listen to worldly human wisdom or advice particularly when you're in the middle of a trial or great difficulty So how will the the psalmist respond to answered prayer? How will the psalmist respond to the Lord's salvation? And that's what we'll be spending most of our time on today. Verse 12 introduces us to the psalmist's dilemma. Read it with me. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? There's a sense in which we could not possibly repay the Lord for all that he has done for us. How does the creature repay his creator? Everything we are, everything we have is from the Lord. And so we have to reckon with the fact that there is nothing that we could offer God that would be worthy of Him or His gifts. So whatever the psalmist would offer God in praise, whatever we we would offer God in gratitude, it has to be given with humility. This is not payment. It's thanksgiving. So what will the psalmist offer to God in return for his goodness? Well, look at how he repeats the same phrase several times throughout the rest of the psalm. In verse 13, he says, I will. In verse 14, he says, I will. In verse 17, again, he says, I will. And then in verse 18, he says, I will. So there's something that he has committed to doing. And so this multifaceted, multi-pronged approach to thanking God is elaborated on in the rest of the psalm, and we'll see what he has in mind. So first, the psalmist will offer God thanksgiving. He'll offer God thanksgiving. Look at verse 13. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Cup of salvation. This is the only place in the in the entire scriptures where this phrase is used. But it's probably a reference to the drink offering which was offered to God in gratitude for salvation. It was part of the offerings described in Leviticus chapter 23. This image would be taken up in our celebration of the Lord's table which used the symbolic cup of the Passover meal to remind us of the covenant, new covenant, sealed in our Savior's blood. So partaking of the cup... Was an act of remembrance, looking back upon God's goodness, and an act of thanksgiving, of gratitude. So think about this. When the Apostle Paul instructs us, for example, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and verse 7, to pray to not be anxious about anything but in everything with prayer by prayer supplication and thanksgiving make a request known to God how, how much time do you spend on the thanksgiving part we spend a lot of time on the prayer part and the supplication part I wonder how much time we spend on the thanksgiving how many of God's blessings and benefits Have not only come to you, but come to you only to then pass by almost unnoticed. How many times has the Lord been good to you and you did not care to to thank him for it? How many of your prayers have been answered, but you were so busy you did not even notice and offer him praise? We as human beings tend to be quite thankless. We find with our own children time and time again we have to remind them To say thank you. And very often we find that the Lord has to do the same with us. So will we lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord? And this by the way calling on the name of the Lord is not simply a call to ask for further help. But call upon the name of the Lord in praise. This is the psalmist in the temple offering sacrifice and lifting up the cup in gratitude to God. Much the same way as we would thank the Lord for the cup at the Lord's table. Is your heart filled with gratitude? I know that this year has not started off the way that we had anticipated or the way that we had hoped. But have you sat down and reflected upon the year that has passed and all that the Lord has done for you? And have you offered God thanks? The second thing that the psalmist says he would do is he will pay his vows to God. That's verse 14. In verse 14 he says, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Now what vow is he talking about? He's probably referencing his resolve in verse 9. I will walk before the Lord. Now this is the season for resolutions. And while most of our New Year's resolutions are made rather tongue-in-cheek, We dare not be that careless with the vows that we make to God. Uh, Those occasions when we've promised the Lord to alter our behavior, to adopt new habits, to forsake sin, practice holiness, devote ourselves to his word or the like. God takes those promises seriously. In the words of Charles Spurgeon, good resolutions cannot be carried out too speedily. Vows become debts and debts. Have to be paid. The psalmist promised to fulfill his vows. What are those commitments that we have made to the Lord? Some of them are scriptural. There are things that God expects of us in scripture and that we are obligated to do, commands that we are obligated to obey. And there's no question that we should do those, but On other occasions, we've made certain commitments and we've promised the Lord that we would do this or do that. Have you done them? Maybe you said, Lord, this is the year that I will share the gospel with my neighbor. Or maybe this is the year that you promised the Lord you'll actually finish the Bible reading program and read through scripture uh, once in the year. Maybe you've committed to the Lord that you will spend more time with your family and with your loved ones. Spend more time at church, attend prayer meeting, be more involved, use your gifts and talents to serve God's people and His church. Whatever the vow may be, when we've, when we've committed ourselves to something before the Lord, we need to carry those through. We need to obey. The third thing that the psalmist will offer God is his service. The third thing he will offer to God is his service. Now, when you look at verse 15 and verse 16, you find something interesting. It starts off with this, uh, this famous verse. You've probably heard this at memorial services as well. Verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now, what do we, what do we make of this? Because this is said by a man who was spared death. And yet he was confident that God cares about the death of his saints. God is not aloof, distant, uninterested or distracted or annoyed by it. Our final moments here on earth are precious in God's sight. And so they will not arrive before God means him to. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. William Gouge once wrote, When fear of death hinders us from any duty... Or draws us to any evil, then call to mind this saying Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his favourites. For who will not valiantly, without fainting, take such a death as is precious in God's sight? As the psalmist has been spared death, and as he commits himself to serve the Lord while he yet lives, there is still this sense there's still this knowledge in the back of his mind that one day there will be a prayer request where we ask the Lord to be spared death and the Lord will call us home. If the Lord Jesus Christ tarries and we're not alive when he returns, we will all pray for deliverance from death only for God to say, it's time that you come home. And yet even knowing that, Having that in the back of his mind, he knows that that moment will be precious to God. And so he entrusts that final moment to God. And in the meantime, he'll serve him wholeheartedly, knowing that God has already taken care of the end. This explains the psalmist's enthusiasm to serve. Look at verse 16. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. And when he says, loosed my bonds, he's referring to the bonds of death that encompassed him in verse 3 and verse 4. And so when he cries out to the Lord and he says, I am your servant, he's just expressing his gratitude through service. He's expressing his gratitude through service. So in which way can we serve the Lord and so show him gratitude for all that he has done to us? And there may be a whole range of ways in which you know you can serve the Lord. But usually we're more interested in being served. Usually we're more interested in what we can get. Whether it is from people just in our own lives, in our own families, we look at our wives as our servants, as our cho- at our children as our servants. Um, we have to remind ourselves every so often that the Lord did not give us a husband or a wife or, a, or, or, or children uh, simply to make us happy, that we thank God they do that. But they are not there primarily to serve us. So the next time you're tempted to call the kids out of the rooms just so that they can fetch you the remote, just think about it. Lord, how can I be of service to them instead of just expecting them to serve me? Husbands and wives, how can you serve your spouse? How can you show love to them through acts of what might sometimes be self-sacrificial service? Uh, Doing the dishes or cleaning up or Whatever it might be, how can you lighten their load and just bring glory to God because God has done so much for you? The same obviously applies to church. People often come to church and they think, well, what can I get out of the deal? And they expect the entire body to serve them instead of realizing that God made them part of a body and gave them particular gifts so that they can be of service to others. When everyone's just looking out for themselves, life tends to be very, very lonely. Church is lonely as well. But when everyone is looking for ways in which they can serve one another, and if that service is motivated by gratitude to God for his answers to prayer and for the salvation that we have, well, then that not only brings glory to God and not only blesses our fellow men, our, our fellow members, but It follows in the footsteps of Jesus who said that in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so that's a small way in which we can emulate our Savior. And so that's what the psalmist does. Because the Lord has saved him, he will serve. The last one, uh, the psalmist says, fourthly, that he will offer God his sacrifice. Look at verse 17. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. Now, again, this is a call of praise, mirroring uh, what we saw also in verse 14. I will call on the Lord. Whatever sacrifice he may be talking of here, whether it is the prescribed sacrifice or in some way he vowed to offer the Lord something in gratitude for his deliverance, The fact of the matter is that he is willing to serve the Lord even in a sacrificial way. Meaning that even if it costs him something, it is nothing compared to what the Lord has already done for him. And so he kind of repeats this phrase from verse 14, I will pay my vows to the Lord. But then he adds an interesting element and he says that he will do so in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Which means that this sacrifice of praise will be public. That his repaying the vow that he made to the Lord will be public. That he won't be an undercover Christian. Uh, Maybe you know Christians like that. They are submarine Christians. They only come up for air on Sundays and then for the rest of the week they then dive down below the depths hoping to avoid detection. This is not what the psalmist has in mind. He wants to be exuberant in his praise and he wants others to see it. He wants God to be glorified, not just privately, but publicly. Why is it that we so often shy away from honoring and from praising the Lord when there are others around? why is it that we shorten our prayers when there are unbelievers present or that we skip over them entirely why is it that we don't often express our gratitude to God in the company of others and this is something that I've thought about myself and and just interacting with people how, how do you express gratitude to God how do you Show them that what God has done for you is so great and so glorious that you cannot keep it to yourself. And how do you do so in an authentic way? I think the simplest and most honest answer is just to meditate upon God's goodness. To let that fill your heart and your mind. To go back to verse 1 and to say, I love God the Lord. I love the Lord. Why? Because He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because He inclined His ear to me. Therefore I will call on Him as long as I live. You see, when we remember that God hears His children, and yes that God helps His children, The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. He delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. Verse 6 and verse 8. When we remember that God hears and helps and yes, heals. It moves us to respond. And maybe we'll respond like the psalmist. Maybe we'll respond by... Bringing the Lord all the praise and thanksgiving that he is due. By offering him a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Lifting up the cup of salvation. By paying our vows to God. Acting in obedience. By offering to God our whole lives as service. And by doing so sacrificially. Even self-sacrificially. Maybe we'll respond like that. But we've spent more time thinking about how good God God has been. (laughs) Maybe we will be less reluctant to praise Him in public and more exuberant in our praise and service when we remember, when we meditate on how good God has been instead of complaining about how bad things have become. G. Campbell Morgan once summarized the psalm this way, and with this I want to close. He said, Whatever the local circumstances which gave rise to this song, speaking of Psalm 116, it is evident that all its rich meaning was fulfilled when, in the midst of that little company of perplexed souls, the shadows of the one death already on him, Jesus sang this song of prophetic triumph. Over the sharpness of the hour of passion to which he was passing. He, this is Jesus, has made it over to all his own as their triumph song over death. We can cry out to the Lord knowing that he hears, he helps, he heals. And then we can respond with thanksgiving, with obedience, with service. And to do so publicly. God bless. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord and heavenly Father. We again just ask that you would help us acknowledge all that you have done. That you would help us remember your blessings and your benefits. Your answers to our prayers. And that we would then return to you the praise. The obedience. The service that you are due. And to do this. For your glory. Amen.